Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by... It's me, guys. It's just me. You get me today, and you'll like it. Hello. Greetings from my home in Brooklyn. How are you all doing? I hope you're thriving this wonderful weekend. Oh, boy, do we have a lot to get to. And I guess let's start with a public service announcement. I wanted to share this with you all because I didn't know this. I go, as you all know, I am a woman. And as such, I occasionally have to go get my woman bits checked out. So I go to Planned Parenthood. I'm a huge fan of Planned Parenthood. They've always been there for me. They're great. Love Planned Parenthood. So I went there for my annual checkup. Everything was, and I'm quoting them, superb. And they said, but then the nurse was looking at my file and she went, oh, have you been vaccinated for HPV? And I was like, no, I'm too old. Because that's what I've always heard, that like it's for people in college, straight out of college, it's for young girls. And she was like, no, you dumb bitch. She didn't say that. But like I read it in her eyes. She was like, it's for up. And I like, don't quote me on this. I believe she said it's up to 40. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. And she's like, girl, yes, you can get vaccinated for HPV. So started that. It's three shots. I got my third one today. My arm hurts. I'm going to soldier through it. But now your girl's vaccinated for HPV, which is great. And here's something else. Men can get vaccinated for HPV, which you should do because you little buggers carry it and you don't even realize it. And pretty much every man in New York City has HPV. So do get vaccinated against it if you can. Um, don't shame people for any kind of STIs or anything like that. That's not cool. But yeah, I figured I would pass along that public service announcement because I have told it to quite a few of my lady friends and all of them were genuinely shocked. Like they had not heard this news. Wild. It's almost like this country hates women. <laughs> I don't know. Is that crazy? Is that a crazy thing to say? Sorry. And we're in the intro of the show. So I wanted to start with that public service announcement. Listen, I was very torn about this week's episode because... Meredith texted me and was like, should we talk about the Oscar nominations? And I was like, ugh, because obviously we're going to do an Oscars episode with our predictions like we do every year, but we're going to do that closer to Oscar time later in the month. So I was like, I don't want to burn everybody out on Oscar talk because, listen, you have all recognized that this has gradually transitioned into a pop culture show and you like and support that and I appreciate that support. However, I feel like if we spend two episodes talking about the Oscars, that's a lot of Oscars. However, I was also like, I got to acknowledge the nominations. And I want to sort of give like the bullet points about how I feel about everything. Listen, I'm pissed about Best Director. Okay, let's just cut to the chase. How are you going to nominate Dune for like 10 fucking Oscars and not give Denis a nomination? Here's what I think is going on. Okay. Obviously, the Academy hates sci fi. Yes. Everybody's screaming on Twitter. You're right. The Academy does hate science fiction and fantasy. That's been established, right? However, 
I think Denise getting the Peter Jackson treatment in that the Academy is aware a part two to Dune is coming out, at least a part two, maybe a part three, I don't know. So they're probably going to wait for part two to come out to give Denis his nomination. Maybe his win. I don't know. It depends on the year. It depends on the other nominees. But I think that's what's, ha what's happening. I don't think it's like a blanket rejection of sci-fi. <sighs> they were just like 80-year-olds who were like, Kenneth Branagh needs a nomination, I guess. I'm not going to see that movie. Anybody who's tweeting me who's like, you got to watch Belfast. Oh, I, I actually fucking don't. And I'm not going to. I'm very mad about him taking Denise's spot. That's how I see it. Kenneth Branagh took Denise's spot and I'm never going to forgive him. And that's just what it is. Okay. Let's talk about the other nominees. <clears throat> Javier Bardem. Um, great actor. Seems like a lovely man. I think it's adorable that he and Penelope Cruz, a real life couple, can you believe it? Both got nominated. Cute, 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 cute. However, being the Ricardos being nominated for anything this year is like, man, the the Academy just loves to demonstrate every year how they are just becoming more and more culturally irrelevant. The fact that the movies that actually make the most money are not nominated for anything. Not that I'm saying they necessarily should be. I'm not saying like Marvel should dominate the Oscars, but it is like deeply funny to me that they were at least briefly humoring having Tom Holland host the Oscars because they were like, well, the only film anyone saw this year was No Way Home. So we should acknowledge that somehow, right? And then, you know, uh, sh should I talk about the host? Maybe. Maybe. Do I? God, this is what happens when I don't have a co-host. I end up talking out loud way too much. In There's no internal monologue is what I'm saying. I'll get to the, uh, the host in a second. So basically my general impression of the, the nominees was there were no huge surprises other than the snub of Denis, the snub of Ruth Nega for passing. Passing in general, getting a snub was at least surprising to me because there had been such early chatter about that film getting nominated and probably winning Oscars that it was surprising to see that it was snubbed to the degree it was. I mean, it was surprising and it wasn't surprising because it's like Oscar's so white. We know this is how it goes. We know they've like made changes and they're trying to diversify the Academy. They brought on a dick ton of new members, which is great. Younger, more diverse. But, you know, you, can, you can't fix this stuff overnight. So it's going to be a while before we see those effects. However... I, I do think we see the effects in other ways, like the power of the dog, Jane Campion domination. Like, obviously, we knew that we were going to see Benedict Cumberbatch. We were going to see the thing that is just like so stunning to me is that Jane Campion is the first woman to, is it repeat a nomination who previously won? But like, even if a woman does win, say like a Chloe Zhao or someone, the chances of them coming back for an another nomination are like slim to none. And the fact that that is reality in 2022 is just staggering, like so embarrassing. And I get that we should celebrate that, you know, Jane Campion, what a boss. But it's also like, how can you celebrate it without also being a little embarrassed? Like, holy shit. Anywho, um, actor in a supporting role. Listen, 
listen to me. Cody Smith McPhee is going to win. <laughs> and I feel like the Academy has to do this every year where it's like, I'll go on a longer rant about this later, but there's always an ingenue who gets nominated. There's a bunch of buzz. And like closer to the Oscars, people start going like, did we talk this up too much? Like it's a fine, it's a good performance, but like, holy shit, we, we really talked up this performance. And I'm going to be honest with you. I like Jesse Plemons performance in Power of the Dog more than Cody Smith McPhee and Jesse Plemons, one half of other adorable couple. He and Kirsten Dunst, both nominated for Power of the Dog, both adorable, both wildly talented. I kind of wanted Jesse Plemons and, and Kristen Dunst to sweep the supporting roles categories. That'd be great. And they both deserve it. Kirsten Dunst, my God, just like criminally underrated by the industry. So talented. Such grit. You know, could have faded into obscurity. Had a really tough run, you know, like with shitty media treatment, having to go into rehab, like the fact that she like toughed that out and became such a good actress, like obviously really, really studied the craft and like worked her ass off. And I'm just like so happy for her that she's finally getting recognition because I think she's a fucking great actress. So I have decided to turn against Cody Smith McPhee. (laughs) That's not true. I, from everything I've heard, he's lovely. I'm sure we'll have a very long career But the longer I think about that performance, the more I'm like, what made Power of the Dog so powerful, in my opinion, was the direction and truthfully, the supporting acting. That's not to diminish anything that Benedict did. But to me, he really popped because Kirsten Dunst, like a good supporting actor does, kept setting him up to hit home runs or whatever sports metaphor you feel comfortable with. Because that performance, his performance does not work unless we have all of this tension built up by the director, by Kirsten Dunst. I mean, that scene where she's playing the piano. Come on. Who's the MVP of that scene? It's Kirsten Dunst. Like, that's why his performance is so creepy. Anyway, I, if you can believe it, I could go on about Power of the Dog. But I shan't. Why is J.K. Simmons nominated for being the Ricardos? And again, why is being the Ricardos nominated for anything? Because we still got some 80-year-olds in the Academy. We got a snip, 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 snip. Actress in a leading role. What a weird fucking category this is. Okay, Jessica Chastain. Here's why I have to give it up to Jessica Chastain. No one. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Very few people were like, yeah, she's a lock for the eyes of Tammy Faye. But she was like advocating hard for herself in the final few weeks, which are very critical. I don't know if a lot of actors realize how critical those last few weeks are in terms of promoting the film, promoting yourself, really pushing for a nomination. All of a sudden, Jessica Chastain was chatty on Instagram. And she was posting all of these like, behind the scenes tea where she's like, here's how committed I was to the role. Look at what an actress I am. And I was like, ooh, she's pushing for it. And then she fucking got the nomination. So I can't even, you know, she's a great actress. And I'm also like, good on you. You wanted it. You fought for it. And you got it. Let that be a lesson to everybody else, right? 
If you can believe it, Olivia Coleman was nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> and listen, I loved, love The Lost Daughter. One of my favorite films of the year. I'm a little sad that Maggie Gyllenhaal didn't get a director nom for it. The only reason I'm not devastated is because she's going to have such a long career as a director and she's so connected within the industry and people really respect her, like working with her. This was such a statement film to to have created right out the gates that it's like, oh, we're going to see Maggie Gyllenhaal nominated for an Oscar down the road. I, I hope the Academy knows they can nominate two women in the same year. Maybe they don't know that. Maybe they were like, well, we have Jane, so it is illegal to nominate another woman. I really respect Maggie Gyllenhaal, but I don't want to go to prison and nominate two women. So maybe we should start that info campaign, nominate two women, hashtag nominate two women. Uh, Penelope Cruz, who would have seen that coming? Parallel Mother, still haven't seen it. Can't comment on the film. Love Penelope Cruz. Think she and Javier Bardem are adorbs. Happy for them. Why is Nicole Kidman nominated for Being the Ricardos? And again, why is Being the Ricardos nominated for anything? I'm not going to bang the old drum. You know, everybody's talking about like how um, fucking weird she looked and bizarre eyebrows. Not going to retread that territory. I'm just going to say... It wasn't a good film. So, and as I predicted, Spencer, Kirsten, Kristen, sorry, we have a Kristen and a Kirsten. As soon as I saw Spencer, I was like, well, she's great, but also it's a film about the royals. It's a celebrity impression. It's a weird drama. The Academy's going to nominate Kristen Stewart. And there she is. Who could have predicted other than anybody who's ever seen an Academy Awards ever? Actress in a supporting. Let's go. This one is stacked. Stacked. Jesse Buckley, The Lost Daughter. Ariana DeBose, West Side Story. I think she's going to take it. Judy Dench, Belfast. Oh, God. Kirsten Dunn's Power of the Dog. Anjani Ellis, King Richard. Anjani's great. And I actually think she's been getting increasing buzz the, the longer we've gone on with people seeing King Richard, but I think Ariana DeBose, again, very likable, very loved within the industry, has been pushing to her credit, really advocating for herself, hosted SNL like she's out there. And people love her performance. For me, she was the highlight of West Side Story, truthfully. So I would not be mad to see her win, but I do like my my nostalgic pick is Kirsten Dunst. And I also think it would be recognition of legacy, you know, for for all the years that we treated Kirsten Dunst like shit. You know, sometimes the the Oscars does that where they're like, I, I think actually they might do that for Will Smith too, where it's like a recognition of your body of work rather than awarding a specific film. They do that sometimes. They have to play catch-up because they burnt somebody for so long. Leonardo DiCaprio, another great example. Did he deserve it for The Revenant? I don't know. I don't know. He was, he was good. But, like, was that better than anything else he has done that got nominated for an Oscar? No. It was just the right time, right place. He kissed enough rings, I guess. I don't know. They were finally like... Uh, it's your time. So it feels like 
maybe that's Kirsten Dunst's only shot. Because <laughs> I do feel like Ariana DeBose has a lot of momentum behind her. So I'm not going to do animated feature film or cinematography. Although cinematography should be Greg Frazier for Dune, hands down. Um, costume should be Dune. Um, directing. Let's do directing. And then I'll move on, guys. Because I was like, let's not do a deep dive. And then I'm going category by category. Nobody panic. I'm going to cover other stuff, too. Belfast Kenneth Brana. Uh, drive my car. I will talk about this now because this is one of my recommendations. Rosuki Hamaguchi directed this film. It is three hours long. And let me just say this. And this is the highest form of praise coming from me. I know it's like a plebe thing to say that films are too long, but it's it's just true. Most films are too long. They don't need to be two and a half hours. They could be two hours, hour 45, hour 30. If you're sub hour 30, mwah. My, my chef's kiss, hats off to you, director. Bold, but so appreciated. Most films don't need to be as long as they are. You're just being a diva in the editing bay. You need somebody shouting over your soldier. Oh, my God. Shouting over your shoulder. Say that five times fast. You don't need that scene. That scene doesn't need to be that long. We don't need that transitional shot. Cut, 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 cut. However, having said all that, this is why it's the highest form of praise coming from me. Three hours flew by. Needed to be three hours. Yes. Felt like three hours? No. It is a fucking masterpiece of pacing and editing. I, again, I'm having parasite flashbacks because it's this wonderful film where it's getting recognition, which is amazing. The fact that it got a best picture and directing nom, incredible. But, and also really reflective of the changing voting body, right? The fact that a film like Drive My Car even got recognition is incredible. And I'm so excited if this is the direction that the Oscars is heading in. But no acting noms. And it's like, uh, I'm wondering when we're going to clear that hurdle where it's like, not just a directing nom, not just a best picture nom, but also recognizing the actors who made this film so incredible. But I do highly recommend Drive My Car. Check it out. Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson. Licorice Pizza was fine. It was fine. It was fine. Did the majority white audience I saw the film with laugh way too hard at a racist character in it? Yeah, they did. They did. So that was fun. Uh, My Girl Jane, Power of the Dog. And finally, why the fuck not? Steven Spielberg, West Side Story. Hi, Steven. I think Jane's got it on lock. I'll be stunned if Hamaguchi takes it, but like kind of in a good way. I want a woman to win because women are so underrepresented at the Oscars. But if anybody was going to cause an upset, I think it would be incredible if it was Hamaguchi. So not going to do, do documentary or short. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, editing. I mean, if don't look up wins editing. <laughs> That movie is a mess with editing. Like I was watching it and like I I liked it more than most people who saw it. And still with the editing, I was like, this is a fucking weird movie. Like it feels so patchwork and strange. And like the actors improvise some of the best moments. Like they were not written. Oh, very strange. Very strange. It's It's been nominated, but not because, you know, the Academy wants celebrities to show up 
to the Academy Awards and every celebrity is in Don't Look Up. So Don't Look Up got nominated. And that's the story of why Don't Look Up got nominated. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, editing, probably Power of the Dog or Tick, Tick, Boom, let's say. And then let's go, we're going to skip on down to Best Picture. <sighs> Belfast. Coda surprising. Coda's a great film. Great little film if you haven't seen it. Uh, I believe Apple TV. Is that Apple? Probably. Uh, Coda, Don't Look Up. Hilarious. Hilarious Don't Look Up got nominated. Drive My Car. Let's go. Dune. King Richard, Licorice Pizza. I Need You. Oh, I- <laughs> Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story. I forgot there's 10 nominees this year. Stacked. Uh, I was like, where's Power of the Dog? Oh, I have to scroll. I see. I see. There's so many films I have to scroll. Um, so here's the, here's the deal. This could potentially be a big upset moment. I need you all to know that I'm going to laugh so hard if Don't Look Up wins. I think Drive My Car might have a shot at this. I don't think Dune does. For like the director not being nominated, for it being a part one. And I think the other films... I think Power of the Dog might take it. If I had to put money on it, I would say Power of the Dog just because they dominated in every other category. And there's so much goodwill towards Shane Campion. So those are my initial takes about the nominees. How did you feel? Hashtag Light Reason Pod. Do you care about the Academy Awards? Because here's another thing. I This is my Super Bowl, basically. This is what I actually follow all year. I care about. I try to see as many of the films as possible. I love movies, films. So this is my bag. But every year, their ratings decline. So it is increasingly becoming a culturally irrelevant event. And I think if anybody's sympathetic towards the Academy Awards, it's probably people who listen to this podcast. But even a lot of you, I'm sure, like, who gives a shit? And actually, I think that's a good attitude to have about awards in general. It's subjective. Comparing art is stupid. How do you compare Dune to Drive My Car? You fucking can't. You're stupid for trying. Why are we talking about this? So yes, to a certain extent, it's dumb. But also, you get to see a bunch of celebrities hanging out. And there's the freak show aspect to it where it's like, oh my god, Nicole Kidman is talking to, I don't know, who would be the weirdest person for Nicole Kidman to be talking to? Um, Great question. Right in. (laughs) Right into the show. Who do you think would be the weirdest person for, I don't know, Andrew Garfield? That'd be cute. An Andrew Garfield, Nicole Kidman interaction? Only at the Oscars. So I watch for that reason. And I also watch for like the big upset moments. Parasite winning Best Picture. Stunning. That room was fucking stunned because I bet you a bunch of the Academy members hadn't even bothered to watch Parasite. That's another thing. They don't actually have to watch any of the films that they vote for. They could just be voting for who their, uh, which films their friends are in. So if I ran the Academy, I would make a lot of changes. But one of the changes I would make is you can't vote until there's like some kind of digital stamp or, or some logged IP address proving that you sat down and you played the whole fucking film beginning to end soup to nuts and then voted on 
best picture, best actor, best director. I don't know. That's just like one of the things I'm going to do when I'm a dictator. So let's talk about the Oscars host because it is wacky this year. So there was initially like some wild speculation that made me laugh very hard. Like the three Spider-Men hosting it, which was the funniest suggestion in my opinion. Uh, Very, very funny. Never going to happen. No way Tom Holland's going to host the Oscars. It would only diminish his brand. Then there was some chatter. Apparently they did offer the, the hosting spot to Selena Gomez, Martin Short, and Steve Martin. Can we just shorten that to Steve Martin Short? That's cute. Have they ever, has anyone ever suggested that to them and not been immediately fired? I'll be the first. So they did offer the hosting spot to the three of them. So they wanted three hosts because the hosting gig is death and nobody wants it. And usually it goes to a white man and they don't want to do that anymore. So they were like, everybody loves Tina and Amy and that like the rapport of being able to bounce off of each other when you're being funny. So they wanted more than one host. They decided to go for three because they were like, ah, that'll keep the momentum. I don't know. But they didn't want to do it because, again, nobody wants a hosting job. But they had planned for three hosts. So they just, I guess, called three random comedians. Great comedians, but very, very random. Very strange. Um, We have Amy Schumer, Regina Hall, and Wanda Sykes. Again, great comedians. But... No previous experience of like having worked with each other in terms of like having a rapport like Selena, Martin and Steve have, you know, on their show. So it'll be very strange to see the the hosting gig. And I, like, honestly, I don't know. Do we need a host anymore? I know that anytime that's suggested and the Academy tries not to have a host, then people are criticizing that. Like the Academy is never going to win. People will always be unhappy. But I'm like don't do this. Like what you're trying to do is recreate, I guess, Amy, Tina, and Maya. And if you want that, just get Amy, Tina, and Maya. But the Academy is always like, no, they have to be like film adjacent or film associated. And like Tina, Amy, and Maya have all been in film, but like they're not super relevant to film right now, this year. So I think the Academy was probably like, well, you can't possibly use them. And it's like, why not? People like them. They're funny. They turn whatever shit you give them into gold. They've known each other for fucking years. Like they have that chemistry that you're never, ever, ever going to get casting three random people to host your stupid show. So I guess that's what I wanted to say about that. Like I'm thrilled that it's three lady comics because like, again, sexism, (laughs) like anytime women are represented, uh, or like people of color represent represented at the Oscars. I'm like, this is a net win. This is great. And I'm sure they'll do a good job. But like, uh, I just I don't envy anybody who has that job because it's so hard. It's so hard to host. And the writing is usually shit, even if you hire your friends, just because that joke format is bad. And yeah, I mean, good fucking luck, right? All right. Is it too late to talk about the Super Bowl? Trick question. I'm going to talk about it anyway. So I don't give a shit about the game. Couldn't even tell who won. 
Rams? Did the Rams win? I don't know. I I was on my phone during the game and I put my phone down to watch the commercials. I'm that type of awful person. Sorry. So not going to talk about commercials or anything like that. I just want to talk about the halftime show, which I am in the demographic to which they were catering. I had the best time. Everyone was great. I don't give a shit what the critics say, although I think it was pretty much universally praised. Mary J. Blige ate, went ham. It was so fun to watch. Um, Yeah, everybody top to bottom for me was great. Even 50 Cent, who was hanging upside down for quite a while. Uh, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, great, great, great. I wanted to talk about a couple political things that happened during the halftime show. Probably most notably... The lyrics to Kendrick Lamar's song, uh, all right, great, great, great song, uh, were changed. And people noticed, because it is a very powerful anthem, protesting police violence against black people. Um, And the end of the lyric, and we hate Popo, was noticeably dropped. Um, I'm just going to apologize in advance and in general for me uh, reading rap lyrics. I know I immediately strip it of its coolness and I just apologize to, frankly, the entire hip hop community, but also black people. Sorry, I I want to read the lyrics, but every time I hear myself reading the lyrics, I'm like, mm, this is unfortunate. So the full lyric is, Looking at the world like, where do we go? And we hate Popo, want to kill us dead in the street for show. So, again, very powerful. And the fact that we hate Popo was stripped of the song was very noticeable. And people got very, very angry. Understandably so. Sucks that Kendrick probably had to do that. I guess it hasn't been fully confirmed that the song was censored. But I would have to imagine it was, unless his mic cut out at a very convenient time. That's the only explanation I can think of. And that sucks if it's the case. There was also a moment where apparently, I don't know if they got this on camera or if I missed it or if they cut away, but Eminem kneeled, which obviously the NFL didn't want any of the performers to do. It's unclear if Eminem specifically got like, clearance to do that or if he just went rogue and did it on his own either way I listen I'm not an Eminem fan that man hates women (laughs) maybe more than any other rapper who's ever lived very sexist very homophobic uh great rapper but you know undeniably problematic but my hat's off to him for kneeling especially if he was told not to do that because um that was great. That was a great moment. And like I saw Twitter pop off when he did that um, or when it was reported that he did that. So, yeah, that those are my takes about the Super Bowl. Um, football is bad. It leads to massive brain injuries in um, majority uh, poor people of color um, demographics and it makes a bunch of rich team owners wealthier. So, boo. Oh, can I pop off 
about one more thing while I'm in the pop culture section. Trick question. You have no input on this show, and I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. It was recently announced that Taylor Sheridan, who is the creator of Yellowstone, massively huge show on Paramount Plus, gets better ratings than The Walking Dead did at its height of popularity. I mean, a huge, huge, huge success. That Taylor Sheridan, it was recently announced, is working on like five new projects. Now, first of all, my condolences go out to the family and friends of every other writer working in Hollywood who recently tragically died because that is the only explanation (laughs) for Taylor Sheridan getting this much fucking work. And listen, I know he's very good at what he does. He's so prolific. Like, I deeply admire how productive he is, how organized, the fact that he always apparently has a fully fleshed out idea whenever any executive comes to him and is like, Taylor, do you have an idea? And he's like, do I? And it's like a perfect pitch for uh, an older white man to love. I'm thrilled for him. Great. But there are other writers working in Hollywood who um, deserve a shot. So I wanted to say that. However, my less bitchy take on that is he is producing a new show with David Oyelowo, great actor, about the... um, the Lone Ranger, like the real story behind the uh, Lone Ranger, who was this legendary U.S. Marshal and was a black man. Can you believe it? Erased from our history. What are the odds? And I'm so excited that David Oyelowo is attached to this project. So I'm like, listen, is it good that Taylor Sheridan is dominating every single writing project in Hollywood? <laughs> no. But... When you are afforded that amount of privilege and power, if his intention is to get projects like David Oyelowo's project made, then I'm like, that's awesome. If like, that's exactly what like a privileged white man, cis white man, heterosexual white man from, I mean, I don't know. I don't know Taylor Sheridan, but from what I have heard, an extremely white cis man has all of this privilege. It's it's nice that he is using that platform to boost projects like this. So I wanted to throw shade at Taylor and also give him a little bit of kudos because that's cool. And also, is it weird that I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely enjoyed Yellowstone, but also I know in my heart I'm never going to watch another episode of it ever again. I watched season one and I was like, and we're done. What? Why? Why? I like started season two and I was like, can't do it. I immediately put on Project Runway. I'm like, I can't. I can't spend that much time with Cowboys. I did it for an entire first season. Taylor, I'm sorry. I, I know that's your bag. You love the Wild West. You love that mythology. It's a little weird, but I like, it's your bag, you know? Okay. It's your brand. I get it. I can't spend that much uninterrupted hours with in the wild west you know i'm not a conservative i'm not an angry older white man who's like oh, i wish i could shoot people on my horse it's not for me but i wish you all the best because apparently it is um very very loved by millions upon millions upon 
millions of Americans. My God, Yellowstone is so popular. You guys don't even know. If you saw the Nielsen numbers, if you saw in comparison to the most popular shows ever on TV, Yellowstone is a mammoth hit. I'm shocked because it's so hard to find on Paramount+. Plus. Okay, let's move on. I thank you for humoring my my wee Taylor Sheridan rant. I guess let's talk about trailers briefly before I just close things out with your bad news, good news. A slew of trailers came out recently. Quite a few debuted during the Super Bowl, actually. I'm going to... No, fuck that. If 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 something is included in the, the trailer, it's not a fucking spoiler. I'm sorry, guys. Like, maybe the day the, t- the trailer dropped, it could have been considered a spoiler, but I am... I'm moving on full throttle forward and I'm just skip to the music cue if you don't want to hear multiverse of madness spoiler trailer spoilers. Spoiler culture has gone too far. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. So the multiverse of madness trailer dropped during the Super Bowl. I'm not going to get into the, the many, many, many Easter eggs in the trailer. The main thing I want to talk about is Professor X, the 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 unmistakable voice of Patrick Stewart in the Multiverse of Madness trailer. Holy fucking shit. A variant of Professor X is in the MCU. We have mutants in the MCU. It's official. It's official. It's official. It's official. The X-Men are coming to the MCU. Am I excited? Did I scream? You know it. Have I known it's been coming for a decade? Uh Uh-huh. Did it diminish the excitement for me? Uh Uh-uh. Lost my fucking mind. So exciting. The only reservation I have, because you know I have to be a little bit of a wet blanket about everything, literally everything, is I'm fine if they cherry pick some of our favorite X-Men to come into the MCU. So... If they want to have Patrick Stewart's Professor X come in, if they want to have, I don't know, your Nicholas Holt, your Hugh Jackman, Beast and Logan, okay, like the hits, the people who actually were cast correctly. If you want to bring them into the MCU, fine. Can we just recast everybody else? Because you guys really biffed on a lot of the casting of the mutants, and I don't want most of them to sully the MCU. So I'm hoping for some pretty significant recasting. But again, so happy to see or to hear, I guess, Patrick Stewart's voice, because if they got anything right, they got Professor X and Magneto right. So if they want, you know, Michael Fassbender to come over, sure. Sure. He was a good casting. So... That Those were my main feelings. Again, I'm not going to get into all of the Easter egg shit about like who might be um, on the Illuminati panel, if you will, that uh, Doctor Strange is being hauled before. Very excited. Very excited for that film. The trailer for Elvis also dropped. Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Now, let me say the nice thing first, which is, can you think of a more perfect marriage? than Baz Luhrmann of all directors and 
Elvis, the story of Elvis. Like, of course Baz was going to chew that up. And the trailer's beautiful, stunning. Austin Butler's doing an amazing impression. I felt like there should have been a bold-faced message flashing across the screen the whole time that said, this is Austin Butler singing, not Elvis, because he sounds exactly like Elvis. And I bet a lot of people are going to watch that trailer and just think they used an Elvis track on the trailer. And it's like, no, that's Austin Butler doing an amazing impression (laughs) of Elvis singing. Apparently his speaking voice is like way off and he doesn't sound anything like Elvis, but when he sings, it's like amazing. But I am wondering, because there is a scene in the trailer where where Elvis appears to be in uniform. And if he's in uniform, he was probably in Germany. If an, And if he was in Germany, that's where he met Priscilla. And I'm assuming Priscilla is going to be in this movie because it's like the quote unquote great love story of Elvis's life. She was a child when she met him. She was 14 and he was a grown ass man in his 20s. And Elvis had a bit of a mm, reputation for, um, I want to be very delicate when I say this, um, fucking underage girls. So uh, being a pedophile, if you will. So I'm wondering if that's going to be addressed at any point in the film. I'm going to go with no. I was encouraged to see a scene where Elvis stumbles upon a revival ceremony, an all-black revival ceremony where he hears music that inspires him to go on and do Elvis things because really the heart of Elvis's story is um, appropriating black culture and music. And Elvis even admitted that. He said, you know, that black musicians and music uh, not only influenced him, but were like the reason he had a career. So very cool to see Baz address that and like celebrate it, you know? Um, But yeah, it looks beautiful. The only thing that really like gave me pause was, ooh, it's going to be tough if Priscilla is in this movie because, I mean, imagine like a lavish Moulin Rouge style romantic ballad between a grown man and a 14-year-old girl. That's going to be um, deeply upsetting. So hopefully it won't happen. And then finally, the trailer for Nope dropped. Uh, Jordan Peele's new film. Kiki Palmer. What, what? Uh, looks fantastic. And uh, yeah, Jordan Peele is the king of trailers. Undisputed king of trailers. It's it's masterfully constructed. I watched it roughly 80 times. I'm so excited The cast is absolutely stacked, as I say, Kiki Palmer, but Daniel Kaluuya's back in another Jordan Peele film. I mean, are you excited? I am. Steven Yen, let's go. Amazing cast. Definitely a film I'm going to see with, like, an audience in Brooklyn. A full audience. Sorry, I have to do it for Jordan Peele. Have to do it. His films. If you've never... Again, I know, pandemic, if you're triple vaxxed and you feel comfortable and you've never seen a Jordan Peele flick with a full audience, it is an event. Seeing Get Out in a crowded theater is one of my favorite memories. Like, amazing. So amazing. So I'm very excited about that. 
guys, that's enough. I'm so sorry. I will get to Patreon messages and, and everything next episode. But I just wanted to make sure that I got to all of those items. And on that note, everybody, I'm so sorry. It's that time of the show. <gasps> Here's your bad news. I just need everybody to know that my arm hurts a lot from the vaccine and I am being a brave little soldier about it. So if anybody wants to like, I don't know, go to patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny or like, I don't know, lighttreason.news and smash that donate button because that's the only way that the show gets made and you pay for hosting fees and co-host appearances and put a little roof over my little head and my little cat's head. I don't know. You could do that maybe because my arm does hurt. <laughs> That's how I'm going to start to push for new members. I'll just um, guilt you like a mother who you don't like. So let's talk about these Canadian protests, shall we? Because they're bananas. And you're probably thinking, phew, Police arrested a bunch of these wacky demonstrators, towed away vehicles um, that were bes besieging Canada's capital, all because of uh, protests against the country's COVID restrictions. Thank God that's over. I have bad news for you. This is just popping off. January 6th, just the tip of the iceberg. So if you're hoping that this trend is going to reverse itself, it's not. I'm sorry. Hate to be that person to tell you this, but um, white supremacists are here to stay. Insurrectionists are here to stay. So, and, and speaking of which, a lot of separatists were sending money and whatnot to the, the anti-shutdown protesters in Canada. So there is overlap between the stories. I'm not overreaching just because it happened to be in a different country. So yeah, I believe on Friday, this crackdown started against the Freedom Convoy. Boy, they're not good at naming things. It started in the morning when hundreds of police, some in riot gear, some carrying automatic weapons, descended into the protest zone, began leading demonstrators away in handcuffs through the snowy streets. Thanks for painting a picture, AP. I see you. I see your hard work. The snowy streets as holdout truckers blared their horns because they were pissed. It was also a very scary situation because a lot of the truckers uh, had their families with them and like their children. And there are two ways to look at something like that when it happens. One is the truckers are like, we brought our families because like, I don't know. We thought this was a family event. But another way of looking at it, that is you're using children as human shields because you think the cops won't shoot them. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is maybe don't involve your family <laughs> in something like this, especially your children. Let them stay at home. They're not political creatures yet. They just do whatever you tell them to do. They have no free will. Um, don't do that to children. All of this, of course, follows... Prime Minister Trudeau's decision to invoke Canada's Emergencies Act, which gave law enforcement extraordinary authority to declare the blockades illegal 
tow away trucks, arrest the drivers, suspend their licenses, and freeze their bank accounts. So that's super bad because if you're a trucker and that's how you make your living, trucking goods and driving, having a suspended license is um, quite bad. But it's this difficult situation where it's like, listen, nobody wants to be in the position where you are rooting for the government, right? But these kinds of anti-lockdown protests are really, really scary, especially, you know, watching this happen here in the United States where we are, I mean, I was going to say approaching a million deaths, but we know all of these figures are being underreported. So we're definitely at a million deaths by now, probably over a million deaths. So watching that happen from the United States is very scary because we're going through a, a similar thing here in the States. You know, we have anti-lockdown protesters. Um, we have people who are like attacking employees for trying to enforce mask policies, like really, really off the wall behavior. And again, I wish I could tell you that this trend was going to reverse, but tip of the iceberg, tip of the fucking iceberg. So I also wanted to talk about this piece over at the Daily Beast about Horatio Sands. Uh, the title of the article, which I really, really encourage everybody to read in its entirety, is Horatio Sands' sexual assault accuser speaks out Quote, he abused me all over SNL. This piece is by Laura Bradley, and it is essentially a very long interview with Jane Doe, who filed her lawsuit last year and has accused Horatio Sands, the comedian of SNL fame, of grooming her from the age of 15 and alleges that he often did so in front of his NBC colleagues. Now, I remember when this story first broke and there was a first person account from Jane Doe about going to these SNL after parties and having Horatio Sands like fondle her on a couch and having people like Jimmy Fallon sitting there and seeing it happen and like other SNL cast members and producers and like everybody <laughs> watching it happen and nobody stopping it. I think there was one employee who said, are you fucking kidding me? But that's like as far as that criticism went. So I think the reason this piece is important is it shows how NBC was complicit in all of this. And I would really like Jimmy Fallon to have to answer to some of this, these allegations because it's not the first time we've heard something like this. Like, not that he directly did anything, but that he facilitated a culture of culpability and that he wasn't stopping the behavior when he saw it. And now he is a late night talk show host. And it's sort of like, well, I bet he's not treating stuff like this differently. Like, why does he get to walk away when... Other people have to answer for it. Like, I'm sorry, just because you're a likable, cute guy doesn't mean that you get to just like sit around and watch your buddies statutory rape 15 year olds, especially when like he was also messaging with her and he was sort of 
whether he knew it or not, complicit in the grooming of this girl because, like, she probably felt very safe, you know, knowing that Jimmy Fallon was going to be there, too, and she wasn't going to be, like, alone in a room with Horatio Sands. Like, the whole thing is so gross. And as I saw somebody mention on Twitter, sorry, I'm spacing on who said it specifically, what's so sad about all of this is, like, obviously everything's sad about it, But it just makes you think about all of the girls who quit comedy and all of the young women who quit comedy because of this toxic shit, you know, that intimidated them or or victimized them. And like, yeah, like this girl loved comedy, loved SNL. And now it's like, it's just it's so sad. It's like another reason why women are underrepresented in in certain industries and fields not just because of misogyny and sexism but also fucking rape culture you know like why would she ever want to be part of SNL or anything SNL touched ever again you know it's it's really tragic in that sense as well so I'll link to the article in the episode recap and I do recommend everybody reads it and on that note everybody it's that time of the show here's your good news now i'm gonna need somebody to explain to me why I put the story about the botched Arizona baptisms in the good news section. (laughs) What the hell did I think was good news? I think I just thought it was very funny that the Pope said he can't magically fix botched baptisms, which, by the way, the reason it was, quote unquote, botched by a, a priest, Father Arango in Arizona, is... Instead of saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he had been saying, we baptize you. And the church was like, no, those babies aren't baptized. They're going straight to hell. (laughs) Baptisms, illegal. And the Pope was like, sorry, I can't fix it. So I think I just thought that was funny. I, I don't know. Maybe you guys know me pretty well. Why did I put that in the good news section? I think I just thought it was very funny to call baptisms illegal. Anyway, here's some actual good news. Trump and his adult children may be deposed by the New York Attorney General uh, because a judge ruled it so. New York Supreme Court Judge Arthur Angoran, so sorry, Judge, uh, said that Trump and his adult children, Ivanka and Don Jr., must sit for depositions in the New York Attorney General's civil investigation of their business practices. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Remember when I said that none of them would go to jail, but they will spend the rest of their lives in court? This is what I was talking about. Also, um, some high-security documents ending up at uh, Mar-a-Lago. Interesting. Donald. What the fuck? So just illegality upon illegality. New York Supreme Court Judge Angoran. Judge, I'm so sorry. I'm 
so sorry, also rejected an attempt to freeze the work of Attorney General Letitia James, who is investigating whether Trump misled lenders, insurers, or others in his family business's financial statements. Uh-oh, they're getting you from another front, Donald. It's almost like it's never going to end. It's never going to end. When he dies, there will be pending litigation against him. They're never going to let up. It ain't going to happen. I don't know if he thought he was going to walk into the sunset, but I knew one thing. Once the feds start coming for you, they do not stop. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in court. And then finally, everybody, finally, to wrap up this wondrous episode and this wondrous day and this wondrous weekend, the families of five children and four adults killed in the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting have reached a $73 million settlement with the now bankrupt gun manufacturer Remington and its four insurers. That's right. They took down four insurers with them. Uh, the plaintiff's attorney said on Tuesday. So this has been in the works for seven years. These families have been dealing with this shit for seven years. Uh, they filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Remington, which was the manufacturer of the Bushmaster AR-15 style rifle used in the massacre that left 20 children and six adults dead in Newton, Connecticut. And the families have also obtained and can make public thousands of pages of internal company documents that prove Remington's wrongdoing and carry important lessons for helping to prevent future mass shootings. So kudos to the family. Good to see Remington go under and anybody who was supporting them. So bye-bye insurers. And yeah, don't um, make your money with merchants of death, I guess, is, is the moral of this episode and life, perhaps. And also, this is what passes for good news in the United States, that the uh, uh, family of 20 dead children bankrupted a gun man manufacturer. But I, I honestly do think that's good news. <laughs> like, I do think it's good news that Remington no longer can make AR-15 style rifles. Now, I don't know if that means they're going to start a new company or anything like that. Who the hell knows? No one knows what the future might bring. But at least right now, bye bye bitches. And on that note, everybody, as I mentioned before, we are a 100% listener-supported show. That's why you didn't hear one dang little commercial this whole time. You didn't have to do your little 15-second skip, skip, skip until you hear the host's voice again. I do that. I do that move. You don't got to do it with me, okay? You never have to do it with me. This is a safe space, no commercials, but that's because... Enough of you have gone to lighttreason.news or my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, and donated as little as $5 a month. That's all it takes to keep us going. And some of y'all have been doing that for years. And I see you, and I appreciate you, and I love you. Because this can't happen without you, for better and for worse. So thank you again, to everybody. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, if you're triple vaxxed and you feel comfortable doing so, get out there and cause a little trouble.